Welcome to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast with Jennifer Arthurton. Listen in for real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Old Chick Snow Shit. Um, So today I have a very interesting guest. Um, This is Elaine. She is with us actually not too far from where I live. So just a little hop, skip and jump down the highway. Um, And Elaine is actually a a writer or in her 50s, actually, she started to write a book. And in the process of writing the book about parenting, and I'd love to hear more about that, Parenting Your Adult Child, which I think is a super interesting topic. Um, I'd love to hear more about that, but I, it took a different turn for her um, and now has kind of turned into a new career, so to speak. So um, love to hear more about your story, Elaine, and maybe you can just jump in. First of all, welcome. And uh, maybe you can just jump in with, uh, you know, telling us about how you got started on writing the book and what inspired you to write the book and then kind of how it's got from there and where you are now. Yes, yeah, so the, the book uh, I wanted to write because when my first son became an adult and went off to university, you know, society tells you turn off the motherhood switch at that point. But we were, we were a very close family and we did a lot of stuff together and, and I still wanted to be a part of his life in some way. Uh, so we stayed in touch, you know, using text and, and Facebook Messenger at that time and uh, but I, I did notice, though, in his early 20s that he was starting to um, act very differently um, and was opposed, seemingly opposed to anything that I said to him. I just felt like I was walking on glass all the time. I wasn't sure what I should say or what I could ask about anymore. What was my business? What wasn't my business? And uh, it, it came to a head at one point where he, in no uncertain terms, said he needed me to back off. So I found that transition of from parenting your child to parenting your your adult child very challenging and, and not because I was pining through the empty nest. I still had another child at home um, but also I had a very full life and I still do. I just really still wanted to be in my son's life on some level right. and from zero to 18 you know they fit into your life. And then at 18, as a parent, you have to step back and sort of wait and figure out how you fit into their life. And they're not really sure yet. They're still trying to figure out who they are and uh, where they're going with their lives. And it's really not a time for them to be con- concerned about, you know, making sure mom feels wanted in their life in some way. <laughs> right. So I started speaking with other moms who uh, were in my circle who had adult sons or daughters as well. And everybody sort of said the same thing. They felt that this was this limbo period and they you know, were walking on glass and weren't sure where they fit either. And so I thought, you know, maybe if I share my own experience, I could um, do it in the form of a book and then start some kind of online forum parents can start talking and sharing and you know what worked for you and what didn't and and we could help each other through this period and what happened was uh during the the research process i got an sos email from my younger son who had then now started university was early into his second year and um 
he was in crisis mode. And we realized uh, that he wasn't registered as a student. He was only registered to live in residence. He had been living a double life for two months and uh, tried to fix the problem himself. And when he couldn't fix it, he became more anxious and more depressed. And then he turned to more video gaming addiction, uh, more video gaming, which was something that he had been doing for a number of years. But while living at home in a controlled environment, he was quite functioning. Once he left for university, it sort of fell apart. And I, I did see signs at the end of the first year uh, but I couldn't really put a finger on what it was. And then by early into the second year, I just had this constant gnawing uh, feeling. And, and I would ask him questions and he would give me answers that seemed pretty reasonable. You know, I'm stressed about school. I'm going to bed late. Uh, and I kind of lied to myself as well because I didn't know what I was looking for. Nobody was talking about video gaming addiction at this point. Um, so uh, when I got the email from him, uh, he the school had caught up with him and had asked him to move out because he wasn't a registered student. And so in his shame and regret, he laid it all out in an email, what had been happening since first year, and that he literally uh, in second year was gaming all night until he would pass out, sleep all day, and then start the process again. And he'd done that for two months before they caught up with him. And he, wow. he as a result, was barely eating. Uh, he, was, he stopped grooming. And, um, and he really wasn't thriving. And I had noticed those small things. I had noticed the greasy hair and the sour smell. And I spoke to him about it. You know, he was rushing too much, didn't have time for showers. Um, I didn't realize he didn't have a meal plan because I thought he was a fully registered student. So he didn't have a lot of access to food either. He had been moved to a residence that was a 13 minute walk away from campus. And so uh, it wasn't that easy for him to just grab something right. and gain. So I brought him home and we started the very long, very difficult process of detox and recovery. And so that got included in the story. And um, when I finished the book, he's still not yet in recovery. We're still um, muddling through it and struggling through it. At that point, people still weren't talking about video gaming addiction. The World Health Organization just established an actual disorder this past hmm. June. Hmm. And... Um, so what happened was I published the book online first uh, on a, a social media site called Wattpad. It's a site for writers and readers. Right. And I started to get a really great response online with the book from both uh, parents and young people who recognized this in themselves. And then I received an email from someone who was organizing MindFest, the mental health forum that University of Toronto runs annually. And they had read the book and said, uh, you talk about video gaming addiction in your book. We're having a forum in this fall, and we would really like it if you could come and talk about video gaming addiction. Hmm. So I, of course, was flattered um, and thought, okay, uh, what do you need? So they said they needed me to speak for an hour and that I would need PowerPoint. And so I started to do a little bit more research, and I spent the next couple of months putting together a one-hour presentation. Hmm. And at that uh, event, uh, someone from the Toronto School Board was in the audience and somebody from uh, CAMH, the Centre for um, Mental Health and Addiction, were in the audience. And at the end, uh, they approached me and from there the doors opened up and I got launched into a speaking career.
That's so fascinating. Um, and it's such, it's such a relevant topic today. So, so let me just backtrack a little bit. So your son is at home, when he's living at home, obviously he's, as most kids do, have some kind of, you know, online presence or whatever. So he's gaming a little bit, but managing. And then it's, it's basically as soon as he went to university, it started to just escalate. Is that kind of what yes. happened? It was just like little bit by little bit and then found himself in a place that he couldn't get out of. Yeah, he said uh, in second semester of first year that school was just a real pressure cooker for him. Uh, he's a very bright kid, and but he just, you know, he felt like he's, he'd come from a gifted program where he was a big fish in a small pond, and he got to university and discovered there's lots of smart kids, lots of kids smarter right. than him, and he suddenly felt like a tadpole in an ocean, and it really tanked his confidence. He, uh, you know, wasn't doing as well. Uh, with the schoolwork as he thought he should be doing. And so he sort of gave up and stopped attending classes and started yeah. gaming a lot. And that's when I first noticed the signs because if I had to pick him up uh, to bring him home for a weekend or an appointment, I, I'd get there at two, three in the afternoon and he'd still be in a blacked out room sleeping, uh, even though he knew I was coming. And um, I didn't understand why he was still sleeping so late in the day. So that's when the signs first started. Um, and then he came home for the summer. And of course, he gamed a lot in the summer. And he was working part time at a restaurant, which was, you know, evenings late into the night. Right. So he managed the late night gaming still. And I remember saying to him, you know, you, you need to get another job. You're only working part time and you're spending a lot of time gaming. And he said uh, in a very angry way, you know, this is my last summer without um uh, school or co-op after this I won't get any of these breaks and I just want one last summer's break what we realized later was that was a big lie because he had already uh, dropped and failed three classes in first year so he'd lost the co-op program but he was still at this trying to cover things up he gained so much that summer that he missed the, the cutoff for registration for school so he moved in wow. anyway and pretended that he was still a student. He didn't want to tell us. Uh, he was registered for residence, so he just moved on in and pretended everything was fine. Uh, and then, uh, I, and then the gnawing feeling in my gut started. Um, yeah, yeah. Moms always know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and he also, in his defense, was a, a child who really never fit into the school system. It was always right. a struggle for him. He didn't fit the mold. That a lot of kids do. Um, he he always struggled with anxiety, and in the middle school years, he he was bullied and ostracized. He'd gone to a new school, and he, he felt like he just couldn't get into the inner circle. Um, so he went on to online gaming to find his social community to right. escape from his emotional right. stressors. So you know, it gave him a sense of power and accomplishment to be playing these games and doing well. And then, of course, he met all of these online friends from all over the world and then that became his social circle and and he stopped making tangible friends wow it's you know um like i think there was very uh degrees of this story all over the place like i know for example like my daughter really again really smart girl who didn't really have to try too hard to get good marks all the way through high school got to university the first two years and you know, started having anxiety attacks, um, you know, depression, all of those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, you know, she didn't turn to, well, you know what, maybe she is addicted to her phone. I don't know. But <laughs> I remember the feeling though, and I imagine this must be for you, is just like that, that 
that crushing feeling or that kind of in the pit of your stomach when you realize your kid has gone so far. And although you kind of knew you, you, you didn't know, it, was that ever a factor in kind of- like, I knew something was wrong. I did not know it was a video gaming addiction. I right. did not know he wasn't attending school. He covered it up. I knew something wasn't right. Um, he smelled bad when he would visit. Uh, right. and, and he shook all the time. He, he, when, when I finally got the email from him, of course, I drove straight to the university to get him. And I really opened my eyes then. You know, I'd seen his weight dropping a little bit. I'd seen all these little signs, but I wasn't really looking at them closely. And once I knew what was going on, when he opened that door, I opened my eyes wide. And he's six foot two. He weighed 127 pounds. Wow. He wow. was bony and pale. He, his eyes were dilated. His skin, which was normally peachy clean, was just full of acne. His hair was greasy. He smelled sour. He had ticks. He had visible tremors. I mean, he looked like, he looked like a homeless. He looked and smelled like a homeless addict. And that's when I realized immediately, wow, this is serious. He is in right. serious right. trouble. So how do you begin, begin the process of... Um... Well, first of all, how do you deal with it as a mom? Like, you know, <laughs> like, well, that was the question at that point. He's 19. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. what legal rights do I have now? Right. Uh, exactly. As a parent. And I decided since he reached out and asked for help, he would have to take whatever help he got. And so I just decided to dig in and roll up my sleeves and start parenting again and right. realize that you know, parenting doesn't stop at 18. There's always teachable moments. You will always be the soft place to land. Um, and your parents or your children need to know that they can count on that. Uh, so I actually required him to remove all the gaming from his laptop. Uh, he was not allowed to game whatsoever while living in the house. He was required to see the doctor immediately for a medical checkup. Uh, the doctor uh, sent him to uh, a counselor who was new in town. So we got counseling right away for the anxiety and the depression. Uh, the doctor did not recognize that the gaming was problematic because doctors at that point weren't talking right, about it. Right. Um, so there was no video gaming addiction therapy for him. I let him uh, get his awake sleep cycle back on track first. And he suffered terrible headaches. You know, the tremors continued with the withdrawal symptoms. He felt isolated because he'd lost all his, his, his online social uh, circle mm -hmm. uh, and wasn't making friends at school and all his other right. friends were off the university. Uh, and I, when I changed his diet, got him eating better, I put him on high doses of vitamin D and, uh, and then, I started taking him out of his bed at 5.30 in the morning and dragging him to my 6 a.m. fitness classes with all the middle-aged women I was doing fitness with. And uh, I thought that that would help replace some of the dopamine rush right. that his brain had become accustomed to with gaming and maybe would reduce some of the uh, symptoms. And it did. He, to this day, will say that uh, exercise is what saved him, and he continues that as part of his plan. Well, um, it, it's interesting that, like, how did you get a 19-year-old to go? I mean, he must have been somewhat resistant at the beginning, no? He was, I think he was, uh, at this point, willing to do whatever it took to oh, feel okay. better because he right. was just feeling so awful. Um, and, you know, he didn't want to go to the first class, of course, but once he did the first class and felt 
um, the adrenaline rush and felt good. And then within a few weeks, he started to see, you know, he was gaining weight because his diet was cleaner. Now he was seeing muscle mass. So he was watching his body change and that helped his confidence right. feel good. Um, but also we had a lot of talks because for me, it wasn't about coming down hard on, you know, you didn't go to school for two months and you lied to us and, you know, you're a video gaming addict. It was, what is the core issue here? Right. What is the, what is the problem that we need to get to, to fix here? And so I tried to approach it with as much empathy as possible. And when he was struggling, I'd say, I, I understand this is hard. What can I do to make it easier for you? You know, sometimes he just needed a shoulder. Sometimes he just needed to rant. Sometimes he just needed to be left alone. Um, and But at the same time as being empathetic, I still had to be very firm on the rules and the consequences because mm -hmm. he couldn't self-regulate, clearly. Right. right. Um, after eight weeks of counseling and being home, he decided to go back to school for the next semester and pick up the three courses that he'd failed in first year so that he wouldn't fall two years behind. And that worried me uh, tremendously. And so again, he was dropped off at residence and uh, I received a, a text the next day at three in the afternoon saying, survived first day. And then I didn't hear from him. I didn't hear from him for days. And again, that gnawing feeling in my stomach. And I thought, I'm not ignoring it this time. I'm just going to drive to the university on the weekend and see how he is. Open the door. And I could see he had relapsed and it had started all over again. And so quickly within you know, six days, the shakes were back, the dilated eyes, the, you know, he hadn't showered in a week, so he smelled again. And uh, I just thought wow. how sad that, you know, he relapsed so quickly. And, you know, clearly eight weeks wasn't enough counseling for him. And, and he actually said that when he was dropped off, uh, he thought he could just game for an hour, you know, much like an alcoholic thinks that they can have one drink. He thought I can game for an hour and of course, it went into all night gaming. So he came home again. And we had a long talk again about, you know, his confidence levels with school, why he was afraid to, you know, enter the classroom, um, and how his uh, self-esteem had, had tanked. And so again, I said, you know, what do you need? Uh, and he said, uh, I need you to drive me to school and walk me to class until wow. I can do it on my own. So... I rolled up my sleeves again and I literally drove from Guelph uh, or Caledon to Guelph, which was an hour there and an hour back every day, walked him to classes, went off to a coffee shop and, you know, worked on my e own emails on my laptop. And, and I was writing the book at this point too, still. Right. So I some of that and, uh, and then go back and get him and bring him home. And right. uh, we did that for several weeks and then when he felt like he could do it on his own, uh, we, I then suggested that he have an accountability uh, portion uh, so I could relax. So he had to take a photograph of the um, a lecture hall or the classroom when he arrived and then email it to me to show oh, me that wow. he was actually going to classes right. and not um, at home, at, in his residence gaming. And, you know, it took somebody saying to me, um, why didn't you ask to see his marks after first year? You would have known. 
So uh, when I took him back to the university, I asked, I said that he, once he was on his own, he needed to have an accountability. Right, right, yes. Pictures. Uh, but also I took him to student services and I encouraged him to tell them what was going on and to ask for help. And once the university knew of his situation, they then provided him a counselor, a special needs advisor and a peer support person. So they could help him through some of the social and emotional stressors. Mm. He, he was right. that helped enormously. So I knew he had that in place each week. And then I knew that also, you know, I would, I would get pictures to, to show he was in class. And, uh, and someone had asked me, you know, why didn't you look at his grades after first year? And I said, because he was 18. He was an yeah. adult. I yeah. feel I have a right. And they said, are you paying? And I said, actually, yes, we are helping to pay for his university. And is he coming home during the breaks and living under your roof? Yes, he is. Well, then you have every right to ask. So at the end of that semester, I said, you need to show me your, your marks. Right. And not only was it about accountability, were you attending, but were you doing the assignments? And, you know, I need to see the marks. So he knew he had to show marks at the end of the semester as well. He also had to come home every weekend. He came home every weekend until his last year uh, at university. So for the next two years, he came home every weekend. He couldn't so trust himself. Right. Well, I mean, so that made it difficult to make friends because yeah. he's not there. He's coming home to Caledon. In fifth year, we moved to Guelph and he moved in with us. Uh, and so he was able to attend university and, and, and have free reign and be able to, you know, go to parties and, and get together with friends. And that really made a huge difference, you know, but it, it took until fifth year for him to have, you know, the typical university experience where you're there all the time and you're making friends and, and it's sort of normal. Yeah. Um, and then, and he's made some great friends that he's continued to stay in touch with now. Uh, and he, and he got through, he, he graduated, but it was uh, another two years from that initial uh, email that I got before he finally admitted that he had a gaming addiction. He did relapse many more times. Right. Um, and as, as uh, with all addiction, it's a process, yeah. right? When he was ready, then he was able to say, you know, and you can, you can say all you want, uh, but until the addict is ready, That's true. you can't stop them. Yeah. And so he's now uh, 19 months completely detoxed and he um, is living in Toronto and he's fully employed with a software company. He, he got a software engineering degree. So yeah. he's been there since July. So he's, yeah. I guess he's been six months now in Toronto. So does he game at all now or like, is, no, no, that's it. He just no. knows he can't go near it. Just like he cannot, he knows he cannot game. Yeah. He, he, he still has the desire to game, but he, and he used, he said to me recently that he used to say to himself all these negative things when he'd have the desire, like, Oh, my family will be so disappointed. I'm such a failure if I do this. And he said, now he's reached the point where he can say, hey, I've made it 19 months. Let's see how much further I can do this. And he has also started to speak with me sometimes. Uh, nice. Into mental health forms. He doesn't talk with me in schools, but when we do mental health uh, events, he comes and speaks with me. And he recently said to me, uh, I think it was at Christmas, how long has it been, Mom, since I uh, have been detoxed? And I said, well, it's been 18 months now. And he said, oh, 
six months to two years. That's fantastic. He said, you know, I can't game because I lose my talk. Right. <laughs> he can't talk with me. And right. he's enjoying helping people. He's enjoying the process of seeing it make a difference. Wow, that's incredible. Now he's inspiring others and that feels good for him. So is that something, um, you know, I, I don't think I've heard of a video game addiction to that degree before. Is that something that's becoming more and more commonplace? Like, are you seeing that? Obviously, you're talking about it a lot more. So is it a growing problem, right? Are you a it's growing? It's for sure a growing problem. Uh, it's, um, I think it's 9% of the population right now and growing. Uh, that's why the World Health Organization established it an actual disorder right. back in June. They want to be able to do more research. They want to um, have uh, addicts have access to help um, and hopefully insurance companies covering it eventually um, and removing the stigma. Um, right. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a growing problem. I, I, since December, have been called by a number of schools who are all talking about it now and are quite concerned and have asked me to come in and speak. Right. So in the research, so on the original topic of your book, um, which I think is fascinating, um, and in the research that you were doing around, you know, parenting adult children, um, is there, like, I would imagine um, that addictions of any kind are sim very similar, whether it would be alcohol, drug, social media addiction, um, right. like whatever it is, I imagine, yeah, I imagine the signs and symptoms are fairly similar. What advice would you give to the mother of an adult child who maybe suspects something or, you know, like, like to your point when you, that you said earlier, you know, you didn't know that you had the right to ask for his, his marks, um, right. you know, like, or like, what would you say? Like, what are the signs and symptoms that you would a, tell them to watch out for, and B, how would you approach it as the, the mother of an adult child? Well, I, I think it depends on whether they're living in your home or not. Right, uh, okay, good point. I couldn't, I couldn't see all of Jake's behavior. I mean, if they're living at home, as I hear from parents all the time who have adult children who are not even working or going to school, uh, and teenagers who have dropped out of school who are at home and they're gaming all night long, for you know, up to you know, nine, ten, twelve hours of gaming. Mm -hmm. there, that's a sign. Um, and if they're not gaming to that extent, but they are showing aggressive behavior when you suggest they stop gaming or you you know, take the reins and disconnect uh, gaming. If you see you know a general uh, aggressive behavior, that's a sign because the, the frontal lobe of the brain does change with online um, uh, with screen addiction. Um, sleep habits change, right? They have very poor sleep habits. If you see grooming stopping, that they're, you know, not, not eating either. Um, those are all signs that they're not engaging in their uh, family events or uh, not engaging with tangible friends, that they've stopped doing that as well, not leaving the house anymore. Mm -hmm. Those are all uh, signs as well. There is a list. There's a, it's called the 15 signs that right. your child is addicted. I believe the World Health Organization's website has those uh, questions on it. Uh, and there is a, a guy I've been connected with named Cam Adair, who started GameQuitters.com. He was an addict as well, also living a double life. Uh, he pretended that he had jobs, so he would have his uh, parents drop him off at work, and then he wasn't actually working there. He'd sneak back home and game all day. 
um, until he wrote himself a suicide note and realized at that point that it had it had gotten very bad. And he wow. went online to ask if there was anyone else out there who had this problem and learned that there were many. And so he started this online uh, community which then developed into um, his business now, which is gamequitters.com. So he has what's called the 90-day detox program. And uh, so addicts can, uh, video gaming addicts can use that program um, to stop gaming. And, and because if you can get through 90 days, it, it gets easier after that. And then he also has a parent support uh, portion on his mm -hmm. site. Mm -hmm. My book's on his site. Um, he has... Um, I can't remember the name of the program that he has for parents, but you know, the questions are there too. The, the signs and the symptoms are on his right. site or as well, but there's an enormous amount of support on his site. Right. And how do you, how would you approach the subject with your adult child if you suspect something? So we tend not to use the word addiction because as soon as you were use the word addiction, you're going to get defensiveness and denial. Um, I, I always suggest asking the child or adult child if they see their gaming as problematic and how they might see it as problematic. Mm -hmm. and, and they may or may not see it as problematic. And if they don't, then you may you know, be able to say, well, I see it as problematic in these ways. And then share how it's problematic for you as the parent to be watching. Uh, and then try to have a conversation together where the, the child or adult child has some sense that they have some control in, in, in making the changes. And, mm -hmm. you know, what can, mm -hmm. we can we start reducing how much time? Can you start engaging in activities outside of the house? Can you start engaging with the family more? Right. Um, but yeah. It's a process. Right. And you may get a lot of resistance. I don't recommend disconnecting the uh, internet and taking it away unless you're having a conversation about it first and they know this is going to happen, right. uh, especially, uh, you know, large teen boys and adult men can become quite violent mm -hmm. and uh, some can become very despondent and suicidal. So there's always those risk factors and you want to be very careful about that. Right. Right. Um, and then like, as a mom, did you ever deal with, um, I want to say feelings of failure or why didn't I see this or how could this yes. have happened and all of that. And how did you manage that then? Um, manage so that? one of the things I do in my talks, my theory is no blame, no shame. Right. Because I raised my boys in the early nineties and into the new millennium. No one was talking about video gaming addiction. For us, it was a, a new technology was new. We had the Game Boys, then we had all the consoles, and then mm -hmm. came the online mm -hmm. gaming. We were pretty seduced by it right. and told that it was, you know, it was a really good thing. It was hand-eye coordination would be improved, and it was a good stress reliever and uh, educational. Uh, so for me, I thought I was doing all the right things as a parent. We ate meals together at the table. We played together. We played board games and card games. We traveled together. Right. Uh, but uh, And we were told, um, keep them safe from predators, making their information right. private, and just use age-appropriate or buy age-appropriate games. No one talked about, you know, what could happen in terms of addiction. And so for me... I was blindsided because I didn't know. And had I known and had that awareness, I would have regulated it more when he was younger. And so, yeah, I did feel like I had enabled it. 
Um, right. But once, once I knew better, I could do better. And right. so my goal in my talks is to just arm parents with as much information as I can, because the more information you have, the better prepared you are to either prevent it or deal with it when it, when it exists. Yeah, so true. So true. I, yeah, I think we're kind of on the, on the cusp of this for sure. Like you said, our kids were born in the 90s, right? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the next generation that's coming. I mean, I'm hearing this happening far sooner. You know, kids are 10, 11, 12, and they're addicted. Uh, sometimes even small children can be addicted to the little consoles that they're watching. For sure. Even just like the iPad. Like I look at my niece who's yes. seven and she's, she's on that thing every minute she can possibly be, you know, right. which is right. It's, it kind of itself, makes you wonder, that's right? causing yeah. physical issues as well. It's, it can yeah. change your child's eyesight. Um, there's been reports of hearing loss because they're wearing, you know, headsets and listening to it too loud. Um, kids are having posture issues. And that was one of the signs that I missed was my son continued to say he had a sore neck. And I took him to the chiropractor for neck manipulation. And I didn't realize that all along it was because he was addicted to the screen and sitting in front of it for too long. Wow. Wow. Whole new frontier, eh? Yes. And it's not going away. Technology's here to stay. So we do have to find a way to cope with it and in a healthier, more balanced way. That is so true. I mean, I think like, especially for our kids who, you know, have grown up on it from, you know, when they were little, it's like, how does, how does this help and assist your lifestyle versus become your lifestyle? Right. right. Because whether it's like gaming or even just social media, screen time, whatever it is, right. Like it's so easy to distract yourself from whatever's in front of you or whatever you're right. feeling with, right. with that, right? You know, before we and didn't have that. We, so. as, we as parents need to create some role modeling around it as well, because, you know, parents are spending yes. an awful lot of time on their phones and their iPads as well and disconnecting from family. So yeah. you know, that for me, it has to be, an, the high, entire family has to be involved in the recovery process and in the prevention uh, right. portion. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. So, um, so is, so is speaking something that you do full time now or what else, what, do you, what else do you do in your, well, I'm a holistic health practitioner. Oh, I specialize in iridologies, which is what I've been doing all along. I've been doing that for 18 years now. And so I'm still doing that. Um, and yeah, the, the talking has, has increased, um, doing some, some media, uh, and I'm about to start, uh, co-facilitating a, um, uh, a balanced tech parent support group in, in my neighborhood here. And, nice. and I sit on a committee for uh, the balanced um, management technology uh, committee here in, in Guelph as well. So yeah, I'm busy. Wow. Yes, you are. <laughs> wow. wow. But I'm enjoying the speaking. I had no idea this is what I would be doing in my late fifties. Um, but I'm really happy that, uh, I'm sorry that, you know, the, how it happened, but for me, because I didn't have the awareness, I think I have a social obligation to create that awareness for others. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, as horrible as it is for your child to go through, it's a huge opportunity for you. Um, You know, and one of the things I talk about in my posts a lot is, you know, this being our maven years where it's our time, like maven, the definition of a maven is, you know, a a trusted expert with knowledge um, and wisdom to share with the world. And so, you know, for a lot of us at this time, it's about giving back and finding ways to give back. And for you, that has become super relevant based on your family experience. And so right. this is a message that I like to get out to people a lot is our, your story really is your superpower. So like when you come to your life and you want to, you know, find ways to give back or to leave a legacy or to improve the world, whatever you, whatever your experience is, is where you will probably end up or will most likely end up, or that's where you'll have a passion around it. Right. right. um, I think you are a very interesting example of, you know, how, (laughs) how that transpired in your life. I mean, it's a super important topic that all parents need to be aware of, um, you know, and, you know, us, us that have adult kids now who, you know, are like, okay, how do we deal with this now? We know there's something wrong because we're close enough to kind of see, but we don't have the whole picture. How do we, how do we manage that? And like, where does our, like, you know, do we jump in and take the reins? Do we start a conversation? How do we start a conversation? It is kind of a difficult time, you know. Yeah, it's a bit of a different time. Yeah. It's a different time, right? Like, they're adults. <laughs> so. What I've learned through the process is that my kids now define who I am as a mom, you know. And so when there's mm-hmm. a need, um, they recognize that they can still come to me and that there's still parenting available if it's needed. If they just want to hang out, then we can just hang out. So, you know, the role has changed, uh, really defined by whatever their needs are now. Right. That's That's okay. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it, actually. Yeah, you're another resource in their toolkit. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Well, this has been super fascinating. Um, so how, if somebody wants to find out more about your book or where they can get your book or just about, you know, um, your gaming addiction experience, where can people find you? So I have a website. It's uh, elaineuskoski.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, the name of my book is Seeing Through the Cracks. It's available on Amazon. And on my web- website, I have a marketing sheet and my, my speaking section uh, in terms of anyone who wishes to hire me for a talk. Excellent. Okay, cool. That's great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with us today. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really, it's, been, it's an interesting topic, one I never thought I'd be talking about, but it's pretty interesting. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to Old Chicks No Shit. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes or wherever you listen in.